0: The resurrection power that brought Jesus from the dead can live inside of you and me even on the bad days. We don't need a Jesus that's just good for the good days, and we don't need a Jesus that's just good for Easter. We need a Jesus that's good for all time, right? And that's what resurrection means. He's good for all the time. So that's really a lot of what this conversation today is is about with Mary. Now, if you've been following us, you know I think this is the eighth part in our series we've called Conversations with Jesus, and what we've been doing is just looking at the conversations that Jesus had uh, with John the Baptist, with Satan, with Nicodemus, uh, all kinds of people, and today um, we're going to continue that series, and we've got one more part next week we're going to look at, and that'll end the series, but today we're going to look at Jesus' conversation with Mary Magdalene. Now, um, one of the confusing parts about the New, Testaments, New Testament is there's a lot of people named Mary, okay, and they're not all the same people. Uh, Mary Magdalene um, is called Mary Magdalene not because her last name is Magdalene. You know, it'd be like Mary Smith, you know, Mary Brown. Mary Magdalene's not her last name. Magdalene tells us what town she was from. Okay, and so maybe it was kind of the way they differentiated. Maybe you went on a ball team or something, and you had too many Michaels or something. They just start calling you all by your last name. Well, maybe this is the way they differentiated her. She was Mary uh, from from that part of the world, and so they called her Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary, there's a lot of legends about her life. She's in all four gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—and there's a lot of uh, uh, thought theory about her life. Some people say. Um, she was a prostitute before she met Jesus. Some people speculate that maybe she was Jesus' wife. Some people uh, speculate that uh, maybe she was an apostle you know, of Jesus in the same level that the other disciples were. Now, we don't have any evidence or any proof from the Bible that any of that's true. Here's what we do know about Mary for sure. Uh, Mary was a very broken and troubled woman And uh, she had seven, the Bible tells us, seven demons living inside her. You think you got problems. She had seven demons living inside her. And when she met Jesus, she found hope. And it changed her whole life. And she became one of the most devout followers of Jesus in the entire New Testament. And so as she followed Jesus, we get to this point where... um, He has a conversation with her after Jesus has been crucified. He's come back from the dead. He's resurrected. And he has another conversation with Mary. And that's what we want to uh, look at today. Let me give you a little bit of the background uh, that what happened just before this. So the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning to visit the tomb. Okay? With no anticipation that Jesus was coming back from the dead. But she went and visited the tomb. It was dark, the Bible says. It was really early. When she got there, she noticed the stone was rolled away. And I guess panicked, like a knee-jerk reaction. So she just took off running and ran back to the other disciples and told them um, somebody has stolen Jesus' body. Now that sounds really weird to us, but in that time... Uh, grave robbing was a very common thing. In fact, so much so that uh, a few decades later, later it was considered a uh, offense that was punishable by capital punishment because it was so uh, often ha- happened so often. So this would have been a logical conclusion. Okay, it wouldn't have been weird like it feels to us. But she goes running back to the disciples and said, "Hey, you'll never guess what happened. Um, I went to see Jesus' tomb." and uh, the stone's gone. And so I know grave robbers have gotten him. And so all the disciples take off running, and they run to the tomb, and the apostle Peter and John run inside the tomb. So she didn't even look in. They run inside the tomb. They're in the tomb, and they look, and they're bewildered because all they see where Jesus' body was are the clothes that he wore, and and nothing else is there. And they have the same conclusion. (laughs) They think, well, somebody you know, must have taken his body. And they all leave, sort of defeated, and they, they go away. But Mary is so shaken by this event, she hasn't gone in the tomb yet. She's standing outside the tomb weeping. And that's where we pick up her conversation with Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Uh, Apparently, they appeared after the disciples left. They weren't there. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. She's grave robbing. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not recognize it was Jesus. So I want to give you three thoughts from this conversation that uh, Jesus is about to have with Mary. Here's the first one. Sorrow blinds us. Sorrow blinds us. Um, I want to say a couple things right up front before we go any further, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, particularly about emotions. We tend to categorize some emotions as Christian emotions, and then here's the non-Christian emotions, you know what I mean? Because emotions are sort of mysterious and hard to control and all of that. But I want to say this to you right up front. Sadness is a Christian emotion. It's not a non-Christian emotion, okay? It's not a problem to be solved, So the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. It tells us in Romans that we are to grieve with those who grieve. It tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrow. If those things are true, and they are true, they're in the Bible, then sadness can't be a non-Christian emotion. It can't be something that we're not supposed to ever feel. Sometimes sadness is the only appropriate emotion, emotion to feel because some things are sad. <laughs> and it's actually inappropriate to feel something else because what you're seeing is, is heartbreaking. Now, also I want to say I don't claim to understand all the reasons that Mary blazed past two angels and then had a conversation with Jesus and didn't recognize them. I don't claim to understand all the reasons for that. I mean, was it that they just looked so normal They didn't look like themselves. Did the angels look like everyday people? Did Jesus not look like how he looked before? Was there something supernatural going on in the tomb where her eyes were covered? I don't know. I don't know any of that, but here's what I do know. I do know that sorrow blinds us, and it prevents us from seeing what's right in front of us. You know, we hear this often. I hope that you've heard it. After you suffer a big loss in your life, people say, don't make any major decisions for a year. Why? Because when we're overwhelmed with sorrow, we don't think clearly. We don't see the big picture. We don't, our, 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 um, our judgment is cloudy. And so I don't know how many times that I've seen people, and maybe you've seen people, after a big loss, make some kind of major decision. You know, they've lost their job or their spouse. Maybe they lost a child. Maybe they're facing empty nests. Maybe they've lost some part of their health and they react in some quick decision and they go out and get in debt or buy a house or, you know, get divorced or get remarried or um, they change churches or they move to another state. They change jobs and somewhere down the road the smoke, you know, clears and they look back and they say, What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And we all know what they were thinking, and we all know what we're thinking when we're doing it. We're not thinking. (laughs) When we're in sorrow, we don't think right. We don't see right. We don't have all of our wits about us. Mary and the disciples were drowning in sorrow. They were genuinely shocked by Jesus' death. And they were only at the beginning of wrestling with the reality that he's gone. Like he's gone, like this man that we followed, we left our jobs, we left our families, we left our homes, we left our village, we left whatever, our background, we, our whole life changed direction. We left everything to follow him, and now he's gone. What are we going to do, do now? Everybody knows the way to kill a movement is to kill the leader. And that would, that would change things, dramatically change things. And that's what's happened here. And the the other problem they have is they, their reality has de- developed a narrative that they can't see past. The narrative is Jesus body is gone, therefore grave robbers must have come and got him. It reminds me of uh when I used to be a um a kids counselor a, a worker at kids camp. I'd go with my kids and we and I, I this is one of the best moments to me of all of camp. I mean, there's a lot of really important good moments, but this was a good funny moment. I'd go into the bunkhouse, you know, where all the guys were, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and every day almost it would happen. A kid would go, have you seen my money? I haven't seen it. Where'd you put it? I don't know. And their first conclusion was, You know what it was if you have kids. Somebody stole it. Somebody stole it. Somebody stole it. Why? The narrative that they're thinking through says the only logical conclusion about where my money is is somebody stole it. And nobody ever stole it. But I loved it. You know, we'd go on a little Easter egg hunt. Did you look in your suitcase, you know? Did you look in your shoes? You know, did you look under your pillow? You know, we'd go through the whole thing and here it is. You go, how did that get there? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you how you put it there with your little nubby fingers and (laughs) nobody stole it. But when you're looking at life through a certain lens, you make conclusions that aren't true. And the disciples were looking at life through a certain lens. They don't know nothing about resurrection. They don't know nothing about about all of that. Maybe they should have. Jesus has already brought Lazarus back from the dead. But they're blinded by their own sorrow. And their sorrow creates a narrative that fills in a blank that they don't know how to fill in. And we have these preconceived notions about what Jesus can do and what Jesus can't do. And sometimes it blinds us to what he is doing. I remember when I was in college, a bunch of guys in our dorm decided, "Hey, these are these are um, important years of our life, and we want to spend these years seeking God and you know becoming everything God wants us to be." So we started doing a Tuesday night devotional, and we take turns with different guys, you know, doing the devotion. And uh, one night, a guy named Eric, it was his turn to do the devotion, and and I remember several people just thinking, "Boy." Eric, man, I mean, can, can Eric lead a devotion? I mean, Eric doesn't talk. He's quiet. He, you know, he, he, I'm not even sure he's going to pass, you know, college. I mean, I, I, I guess he goes to class. I mean, just a very kind of backward and awkward and, you know, simple-minded guy. We just thought, man, I don't know. And, and you know, being the spiritual giants that we were, we decided the right thing to do was to go that night to the devotional and support Eric. You know, that'd be the Christian thing to do. We're just going to go encourage him and love him and endure whatever he says, you know. But we'll, we'll be there to prop him up, you know, that kind of thing. And we got there that night, and there were about 25 or 30 guys in the, crammed in that little room. And Eric stood up to give a devotion, and he said, You know, I don't, I don't talk much, and um, I don't do this a lot. But then in the next few minutes he opened the Bible and he brought a word to us that cut our heart. And it actually was what we needed. And he highlighted some things that we've been needing to know but none of us could figure out on our own and I guess nobody would tell us. But Eric told us in such a sweet and gentle spirit but he opened truth. And it wrecked us. I mean, it just wrecked us. That night, God's word cut my heart. Cut it. And I stayed after and just cried and prayed. I said, God, you know, forgive me. You know, out of four years of college and all the devotions I sat through, that's the only one I remember. You know what happens sometimes? We don't see what God's doing because it doesn't look like the way we think it's going to look. But he's doing it. <laughs> he's doing it. We have these narratives built that cause us to miss Jesus. And many times those narratives are informed by sorrow. So let's pick up the conversation in verse 15. He asked her, Jesus asked her now, the same question the angel asked. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. <laughs> he still doesn't, you know, he's landscape guy. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Well, she's still trying to fix this. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Okay, here's the second point. We can't see Jesus until we hear him. We can't see Jesus until we hear him. So you have Mary going in this tomb, uh, seeing two angels. I don't know how she rationalized. All the disciples were just in there, and they left, and nobody's in there. And I go in there, there's these two guys in there. I don't know how she missed that. And the Bible says they were dressed in white. I don't know how she missed that. And the Bible says they talked to her, and she talked to them. She still didn't recognize them. She walks past the angels, and, and then, and here's what I've always wondered, I don't even know why the two angels were there. Have you ever thought about that? If you know this story, have you ever considered that? Like, she, like if the point's to see Jesus, why are the angels even in the room? You think you know, Are they Jesus' bodyguards, you know, the couple of guys the father sent down to kind of, you know, I don't know, shake people up? Was it ambiance? You know, was, was, was God like, let's get all this death out of here and splash some angels around, you know, like flowers and put some wallpaper on the tomb and make this pretty? What were, the angels, what were the angels doing there? In the Bible, the word angel and messenger is interchangeable. Okay? So oftentimes God will send angels to help us make sense of his work on earth. So, when um, Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, what happens? Angels appear to shepherds in the field and tell them, hey, this is what this means. Okay? And so, the same thing you have here. These angels are here as messengers at the resurrection because Mary, Mary doesn't recognize them, but the angels are here to prepare her to meet Jesus, to prepare her for the moment. And Jesus appears, and then he talks to her, and she thinks it's the gardener. She still doesn't get it until he calls her by name. And he says, Mary, when someone calls your name, it gets your attention. It gets your attention. When I was about um, 16 or 17, I'd been saved, a Christian maybe a year, and I remember one night we were praying, a bunch of us were praying. After a service, and one of the leaders in the church came over to me and just gently whispered in my ear and said, "I think that God has a message for you." And I, you know, I'd been a Christian a year, and first off, the church I grew up in—they didn't do that. They didn't behave like that. So I went, "Really?" I, you know, I thought he'd just write it in the Bible. I mean, is there is there more? And the person said to me. Um, I know you, this is God's message to you, I know you, I've called you by name, for you are mine. When you walk through the water, it will not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And that actually is in the Bible. I didn't know that at the time because I would not read most, hardly any of the Bible. It's in Isaiah. And I can't tell you the number of times that God has has brought that verse back up into my life in supernatural ways to say, I've called you by name. <laughs> and when God calls you by name, Mary, when He calls you by name, it, um, it changes something inside you. You begin to be able to see. But you can't see Jesus until you can hear Him because Mary continued to interpret the events of her life as a grave robbery. So, so here's what I want you to get today. Properly interpreting the events of your life has everything to do with your ability to hear God's voice. You will misinterpret. If she can interpret the resurrection as a grave robbery, if she can interpret something that is the greatest news in world history as a common crime then you and I can interpret something as bad news that might actually be the work of God and be good news. We might miss the good news in it because there's something with our hearing. So you always hear this saying, people say, well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Seeing is believing. Well, you know what Jesus would say? Hearing is seeing. If seeing is believing, then hearing is seeing. And you can't see until you can hear And that's why we pray, God, open the eyes of my heart. Open my ears that I may hear you and see you. And then the more that we hear, the more that we begin to see Jesus' work and presence in our life. John chapter 10, 3 says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. How do we hear Jesus' voice? Well, remember... Angels are sent as messengers to prepare us to meet Jesus, okay? But here's the thing. You may say, well, I hadn't seen any angels in a while, or maybe ever. You probably haven't. You might, but you probably haven't. But I bet you got a Bible. Or I bet you can find one. I bet you can Google one on your phone. And and look, reading even a small amount of Scripture... Every day improves your hearing and prepares you to meet Jesus. I don't mean in eternity. I mean in today, in everyday life, in Monday, in Tuesday, in Wednesday, in Thursday, in the good times, in the bad times, because His Word is a message, is His voice to us to prepare us to meet Him. His Word is living and active. Come on, if you believe that. You may say, you know what, if I'm honest, my life looks pretty normal. I don't see God doing very much. My question would be, how's your listening? Because listening is the key to seeing. Romans 12 tells us that we are transformed within by a new way of thinking. And that thinking gives us sight. So we can't see Jesus until we can hear him. And once we hear him, we begin to see his work that we didn't see before and like Mary who blazed past two angels in Jesus and said, were they here all the time? How did I not see that? You'll start to look around your life and say, has God been doing this all along and I just didn't see it till now? And the answer is yes! Yes! Yes, that's exactly what happened because God doesn't have to be loud to be powerful. He doesn't have to be loud to work. Matter of fact, I think he oftentimes works in the quiet, in empty tombs. Here's the last thought, number three. We experience hope when we identify with Jesus. You know, Jesus' resurrection was shocking to Mary. It surprised her. By the way, that's very good evidence. Some people say, well, the disciples just took Jesus' body and hid it. Well, if they did, why were they so surprised that he came back? they They were thinking somebody else stole him. And and by the way, once they saw that somebody else didn't steal him, most of them went on to be martyrs. Most people aren't going to be a martyr for a lie or for a hoax that they know they invented. Right? And so, Mary is genuinely shocked. Let me say it another way. Mary is traumatized by the resurrection. I mean, when's the last time you've been traumatized by good news? Come on. I want to be traumatized by good news. I want to be shocked so bad by good news, it traumatizes me. It's a a 360, man. I mean, the thing goes all, all the way around. John 20, 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, you know, all the ones that already left, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. We get this picture that Mary must have, like, lunged, you know, and either grabbed his feet or was something. She lo- almost the idea like, "Hey, I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. I'm not going to let this happen twice." And she lo- and Jesus' response to her is not so much a correction as it is an encouragement. It- it's an anticipation. And let me just describe for you what what he was saying. Jesus was saying, "When I ascend." To the Father, it's going to feel like loss again, but it's actually for your benefit. It's actually a huge gain that's coming. In John chapter 16, verse 7, a few chapters before Jesus was even crucified, he tried to tell them, but they couldn't hear So they didn't recognize what they saw when they saw it because they weren't hearing it. John 16, 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, see how that's capitalized, capital A? That means the Holy Spirit. This is God in spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming. And he will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying is, you think I'm present now? Just wait till he gets here. I'll be more present with my physical body gone than I've been with my physical body here because I'm not going to live in a tomb. I'm not going to live beside you. I'm going to live inside you. And I will be with you every minute of every day through every valley and over every mountain. It's getting better. It's not getting worse. (laughs) But if you can't hear, you can't see. And you don't know and you miss. So here's the question. How do we apply the good news of the resurrection to the bad news that we oftentimes live? Because let's face it, we suffer in this life. We suffer abuses and physical and um, visible handicaps, depression. Difficult circumstances, economic challenges, discrimination, hardship, relational conflict, sickness, disease. And at the end of it all, what's waiting for every one of us we are like running on a conveyor belt toward it is death. <laughs> so how, how, do you, how do you reconcile this stark reality with this spiritual reality. By the way, not just spiritual. Jesus didn't come back from the dead spiritually. He came back from the dead physically. You know why? Because if pain's going to be real, resurrection's going to have to be real too. If death is real, resurrection's got to be as real as death. So it's not a metaphor. It's not a story. His body came back. But here's the thing. You and I are never going to be free of what life can do to us until we identify with Jesus. Now let me let me just talk about this for a minute. Identifying with Jesus doesn't mean not hurting, okay? It doesn't mean not being sad. You will have days that you're sad and you'll have days that you hurt and you'll have events in your life that hurt really bad. And so we don't have to pretend. We don't have to try to act like that doesn't happen. And we don't have to deny it, we don't have to avoid it. That's not faith. That's delusion. You can look at the pain, and you should look at the pain, and you should look at the pain deeply and, and, and stare at it and process it. And after you do that, there's got to come a moment where you start to identify with that event or that moment or that problem less and you shift your identification from that to Jesus. So that's what we did in this story. We started identifying with Mary, didn't we? Man, she's overwhelmed, she's filled with sorrow. Jesus is gone, what's gonna happen? There's confusion, there's sadness, there's panic. We start by identifying with her, but as the story moves on, we shift our identity from her to the resurrected Christ. And that's what has to happen in my life and your life in order for us to Experience hope. We have to identify with Jesus. We have to shift our perspective. Yes, life's not fair. Yes, we hurt. Yes, things happen that should never happen. But Jesus' resurrection means He's restoring things in this life and the life to come. And either in this life or the next life, He's going to fix it. His resurrection gives us the hope that He's going to fix it. The resurrection of Jesus means that the hope of Jesus will outlast every pain you ever feel it's longer and stronger so last week was Easter and Friday before that was Good Friday and my life has been such a blur I couldn't I couldn't remember the exact day that my my mother passed away a year ago because there was a lot of tragedy happening in my life this time a year ago and I couldn't remember exactly and then Friday afternoon I saw a post on Facebook that popped up that a friend posted of my sister posted saying hey this is the day and man it hit me like a ton of bricks last Friday it hit me like a ton of bricks today's the day I lost my mom a year ago then we came and had good Friday service and Then we came Sunday and celebrated Easter together. And it was a heavy weekend for me. This is the first Easter in 28 years that my wife wasn't with me. And it hurt. It hurt bad. It's a heavy season for me. It's been a heavy week for me. But I want you to know something, okay? Kingwood's not a place you got to come and pretend. And I try. God, help me today to not identify with the pain, but help me. I don't ignore the pain. I don't deny the pain. But I don't want to be identified by the pain. I want to be identified by resurrection. I want to be identified that there's hope coming, that you're working and you're moving. Here's what I learned, okay? Hope and happiness aren't the same thing. I have very little happiness in my life right now. And I'm saying this because some of you do too. But I want to encourage you. You don't have to be happy to have hope. Thank God. You don't have to be happy. If you're watching online, you don't have to be happy to have hope. (laughs) Resurrection is good on the bad days. It still works. It's still true. And it'll still carry us through. Would you just stand with me this morning? For those of you online, our prayer team is present. And the Holy Spirit is present. Whether you're watching now or later, the Holy Spirit's right there where you are. And if you're hurting, I just want you to jump over in the comment section and say, you know, I'm hurting or pray for me or I need hope. And our prayer team is going to be there to help you and pray for you. Our vision is to be a movement of hope. And that's what we came to do today, is to center our life in hope. Because if you're not careful, you can center your life in what's going wrong. But what's going wrong is not going to last. What brings us hope is going to last forever. So, I want to just pray for us. And we're going to sing a song that's going to help us shift from the, from the um, heaviness of what life does to the hope that Jesus brings. It's a picture. It kind of starts where we were and then takes us to where God's resurrection brings us. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you're a God of hope. And I thank you that hope outlasts, outperforms outdoes, is stronger than anything that this world can do to us. And so today, God, I pray online and in person here, you'd be shifting hearts, you'd be shifting minds, you'd be opening ears so that we could hear, you'd be opening eyes so that we could see. God, I pray now that you would let the light of Jesus shine and minister hope.